From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Basketball came to an end this week, but the cyclical nature of the college athletic calendar ensures there are few lulls, especially when you have multiple top 10 teams rolling around campus. On today's show, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss a notable change to the football schedule, the latest rumblings out of spring camp, baseball once again getting out the brooms, and whether North Carolina skipping the NIT is a swish or an airball in the PAT. Then, six-time national champion and new NCAA long and triple jump record holder Jasmine Moore joins us to discuss her incredible performance at the indoor meet, what turned her from a bulldog into a gator, and what the path to 2024 in Paris looks like for the Olympian. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. The roundtable is underway, albeit a, a little bit smaller today. Sean is out this week, but we do have FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Uh, and, and gentlemen, I want to talk first about football, but not what we expect to be talking about football in the second week of spring practice, uh, but scheduling. Everyone loves football scheduling news. And we know last year, the big announcement around this time was that Florida and Florida State would be happening on a Friday night and have that exclusive national window over Thanksgiving weekend. And we just found out that the start of this Gator season is going to happen on a Thursday. So uh, a little bit different. Kind of, I don't, I don't know the last time Florida played on a Thursday historically. If it wasn't for a bowl game, I can't even imagine how far back, how far back you'd have to go. Um, but Chris, your thoughts on Florida uh, getting into this this prime time window with Utah just ahead of everybody else? Well, think about it. Uh, it was 2019, Adam, that the Gators opened Week Zero against Miami. Still a Saturday, though. Still a Saturday. It was it was it was still a Saturday, but it was uh, one of those only game in town, the first game of the college football season, I think. Or was there a Thursday game that week? I think that was the first game. It was the game everyone was watching. And by at the same token, this is the game everyone will be watching. I mean, Utah and Florida, rematch of uh, obviously the Gators' best win last year, but a really, really good football game last year. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess that it's maybe it's going to be close whether or not Cam Rising, the quarterback of Utah, is back. He tore his ACL in the, uh, in the Rose Bowl um, at, at, after, you know, and, and, and announced he was going to come back. But uh, it'll be a, obviously a, a marquee game. With a lot of hype, um, I've never seen a game in Utah. Uh, I'm anticipating probably being at that game. Um, to answer your question, when's the last time Florida played on a Thursday? How about October 1st, 1992? Wow. Uh, Steve Spurrier's third season, Florida played at Mississippi State. Uh, they went up there. Um, Shane Matthews going home uh, in his senior season with a bunch of Heisman hype. They had just played a really poor game a few days earlier and lost to Tennessee. 31 to 14 
And this game was even worse. Final score, 30-6. to Gators did not score a touchdown. Shane Matthews threw five interceptions and I think was sacked seven or eight times. Um, not a good night for the Gators as Jackie Sherrill's squad prevailed. Um, so we'll be looking for a different outcome for the Gators going out, out that way. But uh, totally different circumstances. Um, it'll be obviously a year two. Billy Napier will know much. We'll, I was going to say, well, I think we'll know a little bit more about the program. Maybe we won't since it's the first game. Um, but one thing's for sure is that uh, a lot of a lot of eyeballs around the country will be will be on that football game because it's again be the only game in town. So we know the Gators will be starting their season a few days ahead of schedule, uh, but we're still a long way away from that. And right now, a lot of the focus is on what's happening in spring practice. Uh, Scott, as we've as you moved along here into week two, seeing more and more people speaking, more and more people available to talk about what's going on at spring ball. What's the latest for us? Well, it's just that part of camp, Adam, where, you know, they're just trying to mesh the uh, old with the new. Uh, obviously, spring break is a little bit different because they're taking a week off. So some of the players are up in New York. I think there's a group of about 12 to 15 players in New York on a, a kind of a business trip through the Gator May like they did last year. And the rest of them have dispersed to wherever they were going for spring break. But we talked to, uh, you know, Billy Napier over the weekend, and, you know, the, the message is certainly one of optimism, obviously. when You uh, you can just tell that he and his staff, they feel like this is more their team. They're getting more of their players here. They're more handprints, fingerprints on the program, if you will. They've got the new facility they're working out of. I think that's really helped with just the day-to-day kind of maneuverings that go along with spring camp. I, I mean, I, I was over there a couple of days ago after a practice and I'm walking back out after talking to a couple of players. And I see Graham Mertz, the transfer quarterback from Wisconsin. He's getting something to drink from the Gatorade bar inside uh, where guys are recovering. And he's talking to Ryan O'Hara, the quarterback's coach, and they're over there working on their throw in motion. Everything's just there. So I think I think that's one big thing we're learning about this because used to those conversations were a lot harder to have, you know, during spring camp because they're walking back and forth between the uh, practice fields and the uh, the stadium. So it, to me, it just seems like it's a total fresh start, you know. Uh, I think that's really where we are. And what that means is they're working on a lot of things. They're trying to get a lot of people on the same page, trying to implement some of the, the new, you know, the, the playbook with the new players. It, I just think it's a growth period, Adam. Uh, I think it's probably too hard to put much stock in any kind of like clear-cut competitions being solved or anything like that. I, it's just not there yet, and I don't think a lot of that will be there until later in the fall. But this is a very important time when you have so many new players, including a couple of quarterbacks who are competing in Graham Mertz and Jack Miller, and what that's going to look like come the season. In terms of a spring sport that is actually competing that would be Gator Baseball. Uh, and more more huge run totals this past weekend in the, the sweep of Siena. Not that Siena is a... Uh, they're not a College World Series team, but Scott, these guys continue just pouring it on in terms of those offensive numbers. Most of them ranking near or at the top of, in the nation uh, and just don't appear to be slowing down at all. Yeah, I mean, Siena came into town and you expected what happened the last two games where the Gators blew them out, but... I did not expect the three to two game in game one, um, 
but the Gators pulled it out and uh, and they swept the series. And you look what they're doing. I, I put this out on Twitter the other day, Adam. Their record as a program for most runs scored uh, was back in 2002 when they averaged 9.7 runs per game. It's still early through 18 games, but that's a getting close to pretty much a third of the season. Or actually, uh, yeah, right at a third of the season. And they are averaging 11.2 a game. So that's one and a half more runs a game right now than what the program record currently stands. So, of course, we'll see how that holds up going through SEC play. The pitching will undoubtedly be tougher. Uh, we're going to start seeing that uh, upcoming with Alabama uh, visiting town. So, um, but yeah, I mean, between the lineup that they have, you know, you, let's start with the guy who they're going to be without uh, for a little while here. And that's Wyatt Linkford. I mean, he's, the returning, really, the big bat in the lineup when the season started tied the program record last year with 26 home runs. And you figure he's going to be the centerpiece of the lineup. Well, guess what? He's been hitting second most of the year. And he gets hurt by fouling a pitch off himself. And, uh, you know, he's going to he's gonna need a little time to recover. Uh, but Jack Caglione, a couple more home runs. And Sunday's win over Siena has 13 already through 18 games. Which, to put that in perspective, Adam, that's already halfway to the program record for single-season home runs, which which Wyatt Langford uh, shared last year, or set last year, sharing with Laporta back in 07. So, I mean, this is a lineup. They're just cranking, man. It's, it's really a deep lineup. So, you look at them and you think before the season, if they're going to be without Wyatt Langford for maybe a couple weeks, that could really hurt them. And as great of a player as he is, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's projected in the top three picks of next summer's draft. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how the lineup holds up long term. But the first opportunity without him in the two games against Siena, I think they scored 23 runs. So they seem to be doing fine so far. And it's really a, a tribute to some of the newcomers like Kate Curlin, the freshman infielder, been playing a lot of second. I mean, the guy has been just really tearing it up as far as setting the tone at the top of the lineup. Then you got BT Ryapel, the veteran, and, of course, uh, Ty Evans and right field. I mean, it's really a deep lineup. So when you look at it from that perspective, uh, if one guy gets cold or slumps, there's probably going to be another guy there to pick him up. And, you know, Josh Rivera has been kind of that guy the last uh, few days or a few games. And, uh but they're going to face a different kind of test with Alabama and the SEC. And uh, I just think it's a lineup that's built for what we're seeing in baseball right now. And with the pitch, with the starting pitching they have and the, and the bullpen starting to show signs of consistency, uh, it, it, could, it could be fun watching what this team does through uh, the rest of the spring, Adam. Yeah, so baseball is just starting SEC play. Meanwhile, uh, gymnastics is heading to the SEC championship meet. Uh, and again, you know, this is this is what Trinity Thomas came back for. This is what uh, Jenny Rowan was able to put this incredible squad of fourth, fifth, sixth year athletes together to try and make this run. And it, it starts with the SEC championship, uh, then obviously followed by the uh, the NCAA's, which is the ultimate prize. But uh, Florida, it's now now's the time to lock in. Yeah, Adam, uh, you know, the gymnastics team closed out the regular season. They went out to. Texas Women's University uh, in a tri-meet against the host school in North Carolina State was there. They took care of business there. Had their best road score of the season, so that's a nice way to 
enter the SEC tournament uh, or championships uh, coming up this weekend. Not a big turnaround, but really, you know, going back to your main point when you led into this segment, this is what the Gators have been preparing for all season. This is what they talked about and certainly what Trinity Thomas decided to come back for. So these next five weeks, you've got to remember, they, they have the SEC championships, then there's a week off, and then there's the NCAA regionals, then a week off, and the NCAA championships. So we're really going to see if uh, if this team is going to you know kind of uh, peak at the right time. I think everything is in place for that to happen, and then they're going to have to really shine out of Fort Worth when it, it, the you know if they make it out there for the finals, that's when you really have to be at your best. And you know the SEC championships is always interesting. Florida won its fifth consecutive you know SEC regular season crown uh, this season, and they've won a couple of these uh, SEC SEC championship titles during that streak. Uh, so you know it's not the end of the world if they win it. It doesn't mean anything really, really regarding the rest of the postseason. If they lose it, so we'll see how they do. I think what the, the goal is and the mission is, you know, go up there, be sharp, be confident, and just continue to, uh, you know, hit the spots that they need to hit as they enter the, the real stretch of the season. But I, I've been kind of waiting on this for the whole season, like all the other Gator Gymnastics fans. I mean, this is what it's all about. This is like their NCAA tournament. You know, this is like March Madness or what's it called, I guess, half March Madness and half awesome April, whatever we want to call it. So the Gators certainly hope it's an awesome April. What what you hear in the background right now is is Scott working to uh, trademark the line awesome April to make yes. sure that uh, they all run all that, that revenue runs through him. Yes. If it does, I, I may not be as a frequent guest on the podcast, <laughs> but I'll still pop in once in a while, Adam. We and listen and we'll we'll be very appreciative for the time that we get, no question. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the PAT for this week, which is about the, well, the PAT is about the NIT. Can't say those two quickly next to each other. I'll go cross-eyed. Uh, but the NIT is happening this week at the same time the NCAA tournament is. Florida's playing in it. We know that. Uh, one team that is not playing in it is North Carolina. So an interesting trajectory for the Tar Heels. They were the number one team in the nation preseason and then missed the tournament entirely, which is... I'm not sure if it's ever happened. If it's happened, it's very, very rare. Uh, and so naturally, you'd expect them to pop up in the NIT, just in the way that uh, I remember years ago, Kentucky was still in there and lost to Robert Morris. But big name schools usually still play in the NIT. Uh, but right after the uh, the, bracket, the tournament bracket came out and they weren't included, they put out a statement uh, from Hubert Davis saying that, uh, yeah, this is going to be the end of our season. We're not going to play... We're not going to play in the NIT. We're going to focus on the future. The future starts now, whatever that means. Um, it was it was pretty a pretty bold move. I think that it has turned a lot of heads and generated a lot of questions. Uh, what do we think about UNC deeming it as too good for the NIT? This doesn't sit with me very well, Adam, just because I look back. UNC won the national championship in 2009 and in 2010 didn't make the tournament. And Roy Williams went to the NIT. I think they made it to the finals that year. I, 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 don't, I don't remember. I'm not a big NIT aficionado. In 2012, one of the greatest teams in, in college basketball history, Kentucky, won the national championship with Anthony Davis at center. The next year, uh, Nerland and OL blow out, blows out his knee in, in Gainesville in the, in the season. Uh, Kentucky does not make the NSA tournament. 
but they settle for the NIT and Calipari goes. And not only do they go, but Lexington is hosting an NCAA tournament and he agrees to play Robert Morris on their home floor, which was uh, right around uh, his, his, his hometown in New Jersey, near where he went to school at Clarion State. And Kentucky loses in this packed house at Robert Morris. Um, I mean, if the NIT is good enough for Roy Williams and good enough for John Calipari coming off national championships, I think it ought to be good enough for Hubert Davis. Now, having said all that, Adam, I don't know what's going on in their locker room. Yeah. I mean, you had you, – you, this is a team that returned basically an entire oh. national championship team – and maybe their their hearts weren't in it, so there's something to be said for that. Um, but he is also the coach of the team, the coach of the program, and I'm sure they, there was plenty of players that maybe didn't get the minutes they wanted. If North Carolina could North Carolina could have fielded a basketball team, I think for the NIT. In fact, they choose not to. I, I don't I don't like the look. It's kind of like hoity-toity, blue bloodish. It's almost I hate to say this. It's almost a Duke move. <laughs> you know, I guess I, I guess I, I guess I can say that, right? Um, yeah, this isn't the Duke uh, podcast. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, not particularly fond fond of doing that, but I don't equate it to bowing out of of, of great football players bowing out of the Pro Bowl or something like that. This is it's a it's it, it's a team game, and the NIT for all everyone says isn't necessarily meaningless. Ask Xavier last year if it was a meaningless tournament. Now for you know Leaky Black. And uh, uh, Armand Baycott and and those guys, uh, you know, maybe it would have been a, a meaningless tournament for them. But I think Hubert Davis should have rallied the troops, like I said. You mentioned the other guys who did go to the NIT, right? I mean, it's good enough for Roy Williams, good enough for John Calipari. Um, I don't know if this is a if this is strictly a Hubert Davis move or if this is the administration. But and all due respect to Hubert Davis, but like. Who is Hubert Davis at this point in right. his coaching career, right? This guy's got like three years under his belt. This is a pretty glaring omission on my part. I mentioned Roy Williams. He won a national championship. to go to the NIT. John Calpart. Billy Donovan did it too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he Everyone's did, he did, done he, it. He did, he did it two straight years. And that was after uh, moving, his, moving his team out of the O-Dome and making them practice at PK Young or in some, <laughs> yeah. you know, cl- in, in closets in the O-Dome or whatever. So – uh, if it's good enough for those guys, I think it's good enough good enough for Hubert Davis, who has been sitting on the bench, uh, who until last year was pretty much sitting on the bench playing caddy for Roy Williams all those years. So I I, I don't like it. I, I can say I understand it. I I don't have to like it though. Well, you know, I guess you know when you're when you've grown up in the blue blood region of college basketball, I guess that mindset exists up there. I mean, Carolina is obviously one of the the uh, premier programs in the history of the sport college basketball and I'm a believer that yeah sure the NIT is not where you want to be obviously if you're if you're Hubert Davis as head coach at North Carolina especially when Duke in their first year without Coach K wins the ACC tournament and seems to be playing some pretty good basketball in the NCAA tournament so you know up there we all know when you look at robberies in college sports that Duke and Carolina basketball is probably as as hot and heavy as it gets in college sports. So I don't know all the uh, thinking that was going on behind the curtains there in Chapel Hill, uh, but I kind of look at it like Chris does. I come on, man. I mean, the Gators are playing in IT, and it, it's obviously not where they want to be either. I will look. I just look at it from a standpoint of okay, if I'm the coach, and I got I realized that you know we had bigger goals than this. It's a chance to get some players some playing time, uh, some extra games. And 
And if you do get hot and you win a couple of games, you know the competitive spirit's going to take over and they're going to try to win the whole thing. That's just that's what real teams, real athletes, competitive athletes do. Um, so I don't know enough on Hubert Davis's reasoning or if it was an administrative decision. Uh, I do think it's a kind of a petty look, if you ask me. I know this isn't the first time it's happened in college sports. It's kind of like players opting out of bowl games now. But that's on a different level than a program. Even yeah. if your two or three top players says, Coach, I don't want to play, man. Hey, you know what? Okay, that's fine. I'm still going to take the guys who want to play and give them an opportunity. That's how I would have handled it. And it would have been regardless of what the fans thought or what the media thought. That's just how I would have gone about it. But uh, they're getting some mud thrown at them, Adam. It's not the worst thing in the world, probably. Well, luckily, at this point at least, uh, you guys are still accepting invitations to be on on this show. Um, We're grateful for that as long as it continues. Uh, So thank you, as always, for your contributions, and we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thanks, Adam. While football and basketball players often get the most attention on campus, it's easy to forget there are world-class athletes in sports you may never see compete. That's especially true of track and field, where Mike Holloway continues to churn out collegiate champions and Olympians with remarkable consistency. His latest star is Jasmine Moore, and with the redshirt junior red hot off winning national titles and setting records in the long and triple jump, we begin by asking if her incredible achievements last weekend had sunk in. Um, it's really exciting, of course. There have been like goals of mine um, this whole indoor season, so of course to break them, like super exciting. Um, I was just meeting Coach Nick though, and we're already kind of like thinking about it outdoors since like that's another big part of our season. So yes, it's exciting, but like our season's not over, and we still have on yeah until August. So we still have a long season left, um, and so we just want to make sure that. Like I keep working hard and that we're setting up our plan and our goals for outdoor season. So that goes well. When you break records like that, is that something you know going in that you've got enough in the tank or you know you're on a that's that's a goal for the weekend or does that something that just kind of happens? Um, it's definitely like something that I can see like building up um, long jump at Arkansas SECs. I had jumped 691, which was like two centimeters off the collegiate record. And so like, I knew I could jump far, especially going to altitude um, and having a fast runway. Like I knew I would be in the position to do so. And then same with triple. I had had the collegiate record in that event um, from the previous year. So I knew I was talented enough to do so. I just had to kind of figure out some things with my run and my approach and kind of get that figured out in order to jump far. What makes the difference? Because you talk about a lot of these records are, I mean, they're centimeters. There's the smallest difference between a record and probably, I don't know, like a like a 10th place finish. What makes that extra bit of difference? Is it is it the way you approach it? Is it your what you have in the tank that day? Like how what makes that tiny, tiny difference that takes someone from being a strong competitor to a record holder? Definitely just like the confidence. That's probably one thing that I learned most this season. It's like I need to have um a lot of confidence and then i was reading a book um earlier this season was don't let the enemy have a seat at your table and it just talked about like i'm a christian and so like it just related how like sometimes like the devil will try to come and you know have those negative things about yourself or just try to like those negative voices inside of your head like like that's not true and like to i guess how to 
how to deal with that and how to go and have the confidence and stuff. And so that book honestly helped me a lot this indoor season, just whenever you do have a little doubts in yourself where you are like, oh, like maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe I'm not fast enough or I don't belong here in my head. I'm like, that's not the truth. And so just honestly being able to recognize that I think has also helped me a lot. And I think that's the difference between like first and eighth place. So you've won now six NCAA titles. Is that correct? Yes, it's my sixth. What separates them from each other? Like, do they all run together or is each one, does each one have kind of a special place for something about what you were going through when you won that title or something along those lines? Yeah, I think they're all special to me um, from the first to the sixth, because there's always a lot of trials um, going into that event, that meet. So they all are very special. They're all in the Florida uniform, which is always like very exciting. And um, the, yeah, like I said, they all mean something to me because they're all just like like winning NCAAs is hard. And sometimes I don't give myself enough credit because I have won multiple times now, but I have to remind myself that like that's good. Like that's impressive. <laughs> like not everybody can do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk more about the track in a few minutes, but I want to first wind things back a little and, and take it to the beginning for you. So can you tell us a little bit about your family and where you grew up? Yes. So I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Um, that's where my whole family is. Um, I go to Detroit multiple times a year, like that's home. And then I moved to Kentucky. Um, I lived in a small town, not a bunch of people, Elizabeth town, that's what it's called. And then after that, we moved to Texas in the second grade. And so I grew up in Texas. I love Texas. I'm, I always am talking about Texas. Like if you know me, like, you know, I like, I love Texas. Everyone knows that. Um, that's where my family's at now. And I have both my mom, my dad, and I have an older sister who just became a doctor. So she's wow. a, a physical therapist, which is super exciting. And she can help me with my body. So <laughs> it's awesome. And then I do have a dog as well. He's a cane corso and his name is Duke. Mm. And yeah, my, my parents come to every track meet. My grandparents came to NCAAs this past weekend. Mm. So I'm super duper close to my family and they do not miss a track meet. So what what got the family moving south? Because you this was on it. It's, it makes sense, right? You started off yeah. in the north and then went a little further south and then went all the way south. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my parents are both engineers, and um, this for the jobs they work together, and that's what brought them to Texas. And we love Texas a lot. The great weather, the food, um, especially sports in Texas. Well, my dad got opportunity to move back up to Michigan a couple of times, but they don't have triple jump as a high school event in Michigan. So because of that, we did not move just for my track event. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> your your family's all in. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's how it has to be. So, yeah, yeah, they're very, very involved in my life and outside of athletics, too. So. Where did sports come into play? Like, did, were your parents athletes? How did you get on this track, pardon the pun, uh, yeah. of being the uh, the kind of athlete that you are today? Yeah, so both my parents were on track in college. My mom jumped at Florida State, and then my dad ran hurdles at Western Michigan. And so, um, yeah, I started off doing track because my older sister, I hated it. Um, especially in the Texas heat, I was like, this is not for me. And then, um, I, I ended up being like 
pretty good in like the running when I was younger and stuff. And then I started doing long jump because like I said, my mom jumped. And then a year after that, I tried triple jump. And after I found those two events, that's when I began to really enjoy it just because I found like the things I was passionate about and I was good about. So I just kept it going. Hmm. So I'm thinking in my head, if, if I'm a kid and I'm running track, I'm thinking, I want to, I just want to sprint, right? I want to do the stuff that looks really fun. I wouldn't naturally think like, oh, triple jump. I want to do that. So uh-huh. obviously uh, you had the influence of, of your, of your mom taking that direction, but is that something that you would have gravitated to anyway, or did it take a little bit of uh, a little bit of convincing for you to get into some of these events? I think for long jump, I was naturally just kind of like drawn into it. I thought it looked cool just to like run and then jump into the sand and then for triple jump I remember I started that in my eighth grade year we needed more points for like our middle school district track meet and so one of the boys taught me how to triple jump real quick like a day before the meet and I had jumped I guess pretty well for like my age and you know for me Mm -hmm. just learning a day or two before um and so then that's whenever I just kept going with that one um and then gratefully, I had a good coach in high school who jumped in college as well. And like, I still communicate with him to this day. And we just talk, you know, about like track stuff and whatever, regular life stuff. Um, but I had good club coaches in high school that kind of helped me get more developed with the triple jump. Hmm. So at, at what point did you realize that this is something you could really pursue in a significant way that it could be a part of your future? Was there a moment where that clicked or where you you got some feedback that told you this is the path I could be on? Yeah, my New Balance, uh, New Balance Nationals my freshman year. Um, Me and my dad, we were just talking about this. I was jumping against like these two upperclassmen and I came back on my last jump and I won the competition with like 43 feet which was like really good for a freshman. Like I'm pretty sure that like broke like the freshman national record or whatever. And after that, um, after that meet, a lot of like college coaches were beginning to like be interested. And so I guess that was like the moment where I realized like, Oh, I can, I can, you know, go to college for this and go to a good college, like a school that I want to and have a choice and not have to like settle in, in any type of way. Um, so that moment right there was pretty like, I guess, defining in like my career. And it still was like one of my favorite moments, like now to this day, because I think I just proved to myself, like I can fight, I can compete. And I think those qualities have still continued. Whenever you're talking track and field, I think people always wonder, oh, well, well, are you going to be in the Olympics? And you were already in the Olympics. Uh Uh (laughs) Tell us about the, the Olympic path. How did that come together for you in, in 2021? Yeah. So obviously like in 2020, um, everything got shut down. And this was when I was at the University of Georgia on my first, my, yeah, my freshman and sophomore year. And so that was originally the reason why I chose the University of Georgia, because I wanted to go to the Olympics. And I thought that was my best shot at going. And thankfully, like, I don't, I obviously don't regret going to that school because that did end up happening. But definitely the beginning of my season that year, I was like, I am not I'm like, I might not go just because I was not having a good indoor season. And then just to see how quickly like God turned it around for me. And I had an amazing outdoor season. It was just like night and day from indoors, I would say. Like I hit the Olympic standard, which is a huge thing. And then I got third at the Olympic trials. And so going into Tokyo, 
I was in the middle. I was in the transfer portal. I was transferring. I knew I was coming to Florida. So I feel like I just had a lot going on that summer um, of trying to train for the Olympics and trying to move and get ready for a new school. So my competition, my competing at the Olympics was not the best, um, but just having that experience of going to Tokyo and getting to meet some cool people. And um, I know going forward, like the standard that I have for the next Olympics. And I'm, I'm happy and I'm very thankful that I was able to compete in that one, even though it didn't go the way I planned. I just like, even now going into bigger championship meets, international meets, I know what to expect after that experience. Hmm. Was it what you thought it would be or did the COVID of it all kind of change that experience? It wasn't a traditional Olympics. It wasn't as open, but was it, was it still enough of what you thought it would be to feel like you had your Olympic experience? Yeah, no, I think it was still fun. I still, like I said, met a lot of cool people and got to definitely like experience the Olympic village to its max because we couldn't leave it so (laughs) just being in the dining hall getting to see all the different athletes that I look up to or that I see on tv and things like that um I had a cool roommate a really awesome person so that was just really exciting overall and uh, being a part of team USA is like always great because there's we're so deep as a country and there's so many of us so it's it's really cool to meet different people and know what uh, what sports that they play or where they're from and um, yeah, so I, I I still think I did have a pretty cool experience despite it all. Even though some people that have been to other Olympics, they were like, "This sucks." Which, <laughs> but for me, it was all I knew, so I thought right, it was, right, and mm-hmm. it'll it'll make the next one way better too, right? Because yeah. then that's that you're comparing it to the bottom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What was the most surprising part of your Olympic experience? What's something that went counter to your expectations of what it would be? I guess. My nerves, I was very, like, especially I didn't have my parents there. And like I said, they do come to every meet. So whenever they're not at a meet, I'm just kind of like, what? And so not having them. And then, yeah, I, I, I was kind of like nervous. I really didn't have, there wasn't a bunch of kids, I feel like my age. I mean, I did find like a group of people and stuff. But I think like going forward, I would definitely feel more of a sense of community, especially since I wasn't, I was transferring out of one school, but I I wasn't yet at another school. So I felt kind of like lost, like in the middle. Other people have their own groups of like, okay, this is like their university, this training group, like they all have like a group of people. And I feel like I didn't really have that. Um, so hopefully going forward, that will definitely be different. I know. I like how the moral of the story is even the Olympics, essentially just like high school. <laughs> yeah. You got it's like mean girls. You got the clicks, you got these groups. <laughs> um so okay, you mentioned your trans your when you started the process of transferring from Georgia to Florida. Um what was it about UF that made sense for you at the time with your goals and what you had already had the chance to experience when you were at Georgia? I had visited Florida twice. I did unofficial my junior year and then I did unofficial my senior year. And so I knew the campus and I knew like the coaching staff. I trusted them and um, I knew that great business school, which was something obviously I wanted to make sure I could get into my major when I transferred, especially since like Florida is an academically like rigorous school. And then just the, the people, I think being here has really shown to me like obviously like in life too like it's truly all about who you're surrounded by like the people can make or break a place no matter the location or anything and I just think the people here is what makes Florida so special I just have a great like community of people that 
have the same goals as me, um, like same faith, like anything I know I would do for them and vice versa. So um, that's what was really appealing to me. And then, of course, I had my teammate from Georgia, Anna. She came here, too, as well. So we were kind of just like buddies the first couple of weeks because we both obviously are trying to figure everything out um, together, which is honestly very helpful. Um, and I was very grateful for that. And so, yeah, but I knew Coach Nick was an amazing coach. And um, I guess that was like the, the main reasons. And it's hard to have a bad day when you live in Florida. Was there any a uh, like reverse indoctrination you had to go through to become a Gator after being a Bulldog? That's a that's a big shift there, you know? Yeah, it was. And I was like a pretty like diehard like go dogs. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was all in. But then it was kind of annoying because, of course, like. The year I leave, then Georgia wins the national championship, and it's like... If we did a full audit of your closet right now, would there be any red and black there, or did you purge yourself of all of the dog's gear? Oh, no, it's definitely purged. Everything okay. was house, like my parents' house, that was Georgia-related. So, yeah, we are no dogs at all. Like, we are... <laughs> than all in gators <laughs> we went from go dogs to no dogs exactly big shift big <laughs> yeah. shift um so you talked about the coaches at florida and the impact they've had on you what what makes them so impactful why have they made such a big difference for you in your career just because they care about me as a person um which i feel like it's the like you would think like oh that's you know, the bare minimum, but I feel like whenever you're so far away from home and you have people that would do anything and look out for you. And I know if I needed anything, I could call coach Nick and he would help me or do his best to get me the resources to get help or whatever I was like going through or anything like that. And just because I don't know, they're always working. Like I see how, how much sacrifice they do and how like the things that they sacrificed from their family to help us out and just be there for us. Like it's a lot. And I just really appreciated um, them as people, just great people. I've learned a lot um, from coach Nick, um, coach Holloway, coach Welty, man, like everybody on staff. It's just really great and like super supportive. I imagine you spend a lot of your time either in class or on the track trying to get better. But when you're not doing those things, what do you enjoy in your free time? What are some hobbies that you have? So right now I've really been into yoga. I really like yoga. It kind of helps me like decompress from everything. And yeah, it's like also fun to get better at something else. Mm -hmm. So I can better at yoga, which is like really fun for me. And then also cycling. I don't get to cycle now as much as I used to. Um, but in the fall, I would cycle more, especially with like some of my friends and other sports. Um, so that's really fun. And yeah, I guess those are still like workout related. I've been trying to read more, um, but sometimes it's always hard with school. I'm like, do I want to read extra? But, that, <laughs> you know, go somewhere else without actually physically going there. So we know that the track has taken you to Tokyo. I imagine it's taking you to some other places around the world. What is the most interesting place that track has taken you so far? I thought going to Finland was pretty. Oh, I guess I went to Cuba, too. Yeah, Cuba. I would say Cuba. Because not a lot of people obviously get to go to Cuba. Um, so that was a cool experience. And it was different. I definitely put a lot in perspective for me just seeing how other people live. But it was, yeah, it was super interesting. Their tracks. And I see like seeing how their track, like their best track had holes and missing pieces and everything like that. 
And um, I just like feel like very grateful, obviously, to be here and have so many great resources, especially at Florida. So. So in terms of places you want to go in the future, I imagine Paris is high up on that list. Uh, what does the path look like from now until then? Because I think in a lot of people's minds, it's like, oh, it's March of 2023. The Olympics are still forever away. But when you're an Olympic athlete, this is already this is already prime time, right? Yeah, um, I think we're I think yesterday was like 500 days out. So let's say it's like 499. Um Definitely like this fall is going to be a very important fall just because it's the fall leading up to um, Paris. But as right now, I just, as far as I like keep just working hard and, you know, coach Nick will definitely have a plan after this season as far as going in or like what I should be doing or what to expect going into next season. But yeah, it's crazy to think that it's already coming up again. With the Olympics, you know, you've got one shot, right? It's all this build up, and you have one chance and mm-hmm. it doesn't go the way you, I mean, Grant Holloway is a great example is he was on track for gold, has one bad race, and then you got to wait four years to do it again. How do you process that and handle that pressure when you know that all the work you're doing for literal years at a time is going to ultimately come down to one or two opportunities where you just, you have to be your best. It doesn't matter if you're having a bad day, if you're not feeling great, like that day comes and you've got to nail it. Otherwise this whole runway, it just seems like so much pressure. I don't even want to think about it myself, but that's the reality for you guys. Yeah. I think about like, even like these moves right here. And I think about SEC nationals, like you have an opportunity and of course you just want to make the most out of the opportunity you're given. So honestly, like preparation and confidence, like I said earlier, it's just like the way to go. At least for me, I realize like if I just, as long as I work hard and I do enough reps, like I'm going to keep doing things just to make sure I know when I get on the runway, like I know I prepared enough um, going forward that I am confident when I step on. So I think like going forward to the um, whatever Paris, that's the same mindset I need to have. Well, the mindset you've had appears to be working pretty well so far. Congratulations on all of your success and we wish you a lot of luck moving forward. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.